William Shakespeare asserted, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. From Shakespeare's perspective, a person's name really doesn't matter. Uh, a name is only arbitrary. A name doesn't affect who the person is. You can call yourself any name, but you're still the same person. However, the scriptural culture, the scriptural history, the Word of God begs to differ with Mr. Shakespeare. And um, it couldn't be, happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> See, in the West, we name children our favorite uncle or aunt or grandfather or grandmother. We just have a, a different ways of naming children. As a matter of fact, I read recently that back in the 70s, an Englishman gave his son 11 names. 11 names. And not one or two, 11 these happen to be the names of all 11 players of his favorite soccer team. <laughs> I feel sorry for that kid. He's now probably a man by now. In the Scripture, names matter. In the Scripture, names mean something. In the Scripture, names are as significant as the owner of the name. Why? Because in biblical culture and in biblical language, they believed that a name does not only represent the person, but explains who the person is. Uh, but there's more. They believed that a name defines the role that a person will play in life. They were very careful naming children. To that end, sometimes you see God Himself changes people's names. You see, it's throughout the Scripture. Abraham, which means the father of heights, and Abraham, the father of multitudes. Uh, Jacob, which means supplanter, because he came out of the womb holding into the heel of his twin brother Esau. So they called him supplanter. They called him Jacob, but God changed it to Israel, which means the one who wrestled with God, or it can also mean the one who rules with God. But when it comes to the names of God, when it comes to the names of God, every one of His names reflect one or more aspects of His character. It becomes really, really important beyond measure. Now, I'm going to come back to that because it's very important, but I want to testify a little bit um, about, and I don't like to talk about myself, as most of you know, but in the Middle East where I was born, a family name is far more important than material wealth. And if you give somebody the option, material wealth, have a good name, they will have a good name. In fact, Proverbs 22 says that, and they take it seriously. A family name is a source of prestige. A family name is a basis of trust. 
you mentioned the name, and everybody said, yes, this family is worthy of trust. Among the Yusuf children, the siblings, there were eight of us, eight. And we were spread 21 years apart. I feel sorry for my mother. <laughs> Between the oldest and the youngest, 21 years. The first crop of the earlier siblings, they grew up having a sterling name, a sterling reputation. People always referred to them in the, in the town where we lived as example, a role model, a, a great reputation. They were the most behaved, the most diligent, the most hardworking, the most well-brought-up children. Then came the caboose. That's me. I'm not going to get into much details. It's going to get into the R rating, although in these days probably PG. <laughs> but I'm not going to get into it. I was not the recipient of such lofty descriptions as my older siblings. And for a good reason. Trust me, it was a good reason. Consequently, it was drummed into my ears over and over and over again. Remember the family name. Remember the family name. Now, I want you to remember that when I talk about Jesus, okay? Remember your heavenly family name. Remember who your father is in heaven. Remember who is your Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for His grace. He changed that. Thank God for His grace. But I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to talk about the one who consistently, continuously lives up to His name. The only one who consistently and continuously lived up to His name. The one whose name fully expresses His character, fully expresses his reputation fully expresses his authority and his power, so much so that God's people, the, the, the Old Testament folks, they could not speak his name on their lips um, because they were in awe of the name of God because to them, God and his name are the same. They are equal. They don't make a separation between God and His name. Uh, God and His name is one for them. And so they wouldn't pronounce the name. They wouldn't take His holy name on their unholy lips, literally. Uh, to this day, some of my Jewish friends, when they write to me, they put G-D. They won't say the whole name of God. Uh, in the Hebrew language, of course, Yahweh has several uh, vowels. They took the only vowel out, otherwise we wouldn't know what they're talking about. But, but there's several vowels in, in Yahweh. And, and they would remove some of these vowels as they would write the name of God. Something we need to learn. Today, as we come to the very important part of the disciples' prayer, very important part. We saw first, for those of you who have been here, 
the incredible privilege of being able to call the God of power and might, the Creator God, our Father. That is a privilege that we often take for granted. It's a privilege we don't often reflect on. And then we saw the absolute necessity of remembering that He is in heaven reigning and ruling no matter what happens on the earth. He is in heaven. Today we come to hallowed be your name. Say it with me. Sadly, in our modern culture, we don't even comprehend the awesomeness, the awesomeness of what it means to say, hallowed be your name. Someone told me several years ago that when he was little, he used to think, Hollywood, be your name. And he was always wondering what Hollywood got to do with the name of God. Well, because it's an ancient word, it's not a word that we use every day. And, and, and really, it's almost reserved to this part. And that's why when you're not familiar with it, you can have all conjure, especially for little ones, you know, they conjure all kinds of... Um, but it's, that's why for us, it is very, it's of absolute necessity to comprehend what it means. Hallowed be your name. It has to do with your entire week, not just with Sunday. Now, I need to explain that. Has it ever occurred to you as to why Jesus placed that sentence right after addressing God being our Father who's in heaven? It's the first sentence. Before all the other sentences that we will see later on, he put it right there at the beginning in the disciples' prayer. As soon as you call upon the Father in heaven, the very first thing you say, hallowed be your name. As soon as you acknowledge His fatherhood, as soon as you acknowledge His dominion over the universe, then immediately we address His name. I'm going to tell you why. It's very important, very important. Because the name of God is everything to God. God's name and honoring of that name is the open door to heaven. And so, when the average person prays the Lord's Prayer, and they would say, oh, we call it the Lord's Prayer, we say, hallowed be your name, and then they move on so fast, so quickly, get into the other parts, or begin to focusing on other things. Without spending time really reflecting of what it means, we launch into our grocery list of petitions. Uh, many treat God, God in prayer like an Amazon delivery service. We're totally focusing on our needs when we come to God in prayer. And Jesus is telling us that this is not the way to approach God. This is not the way to come to the throne room of God. Question, why should we think about the name of God first and foremost when we come to Him in prayer? Why? And the answer is really simple. Holy or make holy your name is a solemn reminder for everyone who's praying that prayer. It's a solemn reminder that God is not a mere ATM machine. 
that God is not a mere uh, home delivery service, that God is not a bellhop who jumps at your command, but rather we need to be reminded of who God is before we even begin. We need to first and foremost be reminded what an awesome, (laughs) sacred thing it is for us to come in the presence of a holy God. We need to be reminded of our indescribable privilege and of our responsibility to honor, to respect, and to bring glory to the name of God. We need to be reminded of our responsibility of caring more about God's reputation than ours. Hallowed be your name. It reminds us that we are not to abuse or take His graciousness for granted. When we pray, Father in heaven, may your person May your identity, may your character, may your reputation, may your very being always be honored by us. But here's a warning. Here's a warning. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? Here's a warning. Uh, As they say in the business world, that will have no cash value. Is that crude? possibly. It has no cash value to come and say, hallowed be your name, unless. Unless what? Unless you know the character of God from the Scripture. Unless you are intended to honor and revere the character of God. Unless there is these characteristics of God are the source of your delight in life. Please listen to me. The problem with so many professing Christians today is that when it comes to the character of God, they want to pick and choose. I like this one. I don't like this one. I want to accept the fact that He's loving and patient and merciful and gracious. Ooh, but I don't like this justice thing. I don't like the judgment that God is going to judge our sin. Well, I don't like that one. My beloved friends, my beloved friends, God's character is a seamless whole. You have to accept, believe, and trust all of the six-cube character of God. You say, what is that? I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. The six-sided cube, purity, holiness, flawlessness, love, compassion, concern, and here comes what the average American Christian doesn't like, or a church-going Christian anyway, righteousness, justice, and impeccability, mercy, kindness, long-suffering, honesty, truth, and dependability. Finally, faithfulness 
understanding and support. Please, please, please hear me out on this one. It is very, very important. Please, especially in the light of the culture we're living in, and I'm not talking about the outside culture per se, as much as I'm talking about some Christian cultures and churches. Each of these characteristics blend together. They cannot be separated. Any vision of God that sees only one or two or few of God's character will be distorted and incomplete. Beloved, if there is a modern curse, and I use that word very carefully, if there is a modern curse in Christianity, particularly in the West, particularly in America, if there is a modern curse among churchgoers today, it would be this. They embrace the smorgasbord theology. They create their own version of God. They ascribe to God one trait or two or more that they like. They want to assign to God what they want, not how He revealed Himself to be. As I said, oftentimes they want to focus on His love and His compassion and even the word, the way they use the word love is not even, cannot compare it with biblical love. But not His purity, not His holiness, and that He demand the same of us. Rarity that you hear a preacher talk about purity today. Now listen, it doesn't matter, I don't care how many pastors, how many theologians that you can find who back up your selective memory of God or your selective choice of sides of His character. It doesn't make any difference. When you pick and you choose and you say, I like this and I don't like this, when you pick and choose, you're not, and I'm going to repeat this, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Why? Because praying, hallowed be your name, I'm accepting God in His entirety. I'm accepting the whole package. And I trust Him even in the times when I don't understand. I cannot pray, hallowed be your name. When I have some doubt about one or more aspects of His character, question. How can I live? Because that's really when the rubber meets the road. How can I live and not just say, hallowed be your name, but really mean it? Well, three things I want to tell you. Tom Welk should be happy because every time I depart from three points, he says, oh, you, you had more than three this time. <laughs> I'm back to three now. Gratitude, giving, and obedience. Say those with me. Grat I couldn't find a G that replaces obedience. So. I worked hard. I couldn't find it. If you really want the devil to get mad, how many of you want the devil to get mad? Okay. 
I want to show you. And it's not that you get up and preach and you're going to do this or do some great things. I want to tell you exactly how to make the devil mad. <laughs> Express your gratitude to God in all circumstances. You notice I didn't say in circumstances. Some of these circumstances stink. I know that and you know that. That's not what he's saying. That's not what the Scripture said. Thank him not for the circumstances, but in all circumstances. That will make the devil mad. By the same token, when you're always grumbling and complaining and sulking, you're giving the enemy a foothold. You're giving him a foothold. So gratitude matters. And the second thing is be a giver, like God. He's a giver. Giving of ourselves makes us more open to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen, God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. But it is the discipline of giving of ourselves that opens up to His leading us. Listen to me, please. Praying, hallowed be your name, is not a public relation exercise. Did you get that? It is not sort of getting on God's good side so you can get what you want. No, 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 no. It is a heart that wants to be a giver like God is a giver. And the third thing is obedience. Did you know that living in obedience to the Word of God, and now listen to these false preachers who tell you to get unhitched from some parts of the Bible. They're false teachers, false preachers. Don't get unhitched from any part of the Bible. We believe the Bible in this church from Genesis to maps. Did you know that living in obedience to the Word of God is glorifying to God? It's glorifying to God. You say, how can I glorify? Obey His Word. <laughs> By the same token, undermining the authority of the Scripture, undermining the authority of the Word of God in our lives, in any way, in any part of our lives, or partially obeying God's Word does not bring glory to God. It does not bring glory to God. So, you can say, hallowed be your name, all you want. You can say it 20,000 times a day. And we know some churches, they just keep going all day long, repeating it by rote. But without obedience to God's Word, without acknowledging the authority of God's Word over us, they are empty words. They're empty words. All three of these are important. I'm going to tell you why. All three of them are important because all three, gratitude, giving, and obedience, spring out of the same source. They come out of the same source. They come out of the same spring. These are all aspects of praise and adoration and devotion to our Heavenly Father. Beloved, listen to me. There is nothing sentimental about this prayer. Hallowed be your name. Nothing sentimental about it. I want to explain that. In its origin, 
in its origin. That's why I said we don't use it very often, so kids can get confused about it. But in its origin, it means, hallowed means praise, adoration, and worship. It actually describes, it's an action word, and it comes from ancient times where it describes, are you with me? Okay, some of you are dozing off. Are you with me? Okay, I want to be sure. It describes the act of kissing the back of the hand. Not my hand. That's really what it is. It's an action word. You know, I was amazed to see that uh, one of the last event or official act on the part of Queen Elizabeth II before she died. It was a ceremony. It was amazing how she was able to stand up two days before she died, was able to honor that ancient, ancient, ancient ceremony, and it's called the kissing of the hand ceremony. It's called the kissing of the hand ceremony. It's, a, it's an old practice when the new prime minister comes in to kiss the hand of the sovereign. She saw the new prime minister of England, and two days after that ceremony, she died. Please listen to me. The highest expression of respect, the highest sign of submission, the highest form of adoration, this is great expression of genuine obedience and love to the Lord when you say, hallowed be your name. The three aspects of adoration, gratitude, giving, and obedience, are outward expression of praying these words. Hallowed be your name. Same with me. Hallowed. Let me tell you, please understand, this is not a word of com- condemnation. I'm not standing here in judgment on anyone, but I can tell you from my personal experience, having been over five decades in ministry, I saw firsthand that some Christians may be able to glorify God in one, possibly two of these three. Seldom do I see someone who can do all three. It's seldom. I'm going to tell you, all at the same time. Some people have no trouble whatsoever praising God and demonstrably praising God, expressing even gratitude every time you talk to them. They are grateful. But ask them to give, and you will not see them for the dust that they will create (laughs) in their hasty retreat. On the other hand, there are some who are very generous. Just generosity is a big part of them, giving of themselves, and yet they live shockingly a life of compromise and disobedience. But if you truly pray, hallowed be your name, and meant it, and meant it, then you are saying to your heavenly Father, I recognize your sovereignty over me, I surrender to your authority 
over me. I seek your dominion over me. I gladly place yourself, myself under in every area of my life, under and at the very center of your will. I submit my will to your will. That's what it means. Every time you pray, hallowed be thy name, think about this. Think about this. In my book, Empowered by Praise, I point that praise and adoration include all these three things. Self-giving, gratitude, obedience, surrender, all of that is part of praise. This is where the power comes from. And they're all really the secret of victory. How is it I am not having victory in my life? Examine yourself. In that book, of course, I tell the story of the difference between King David and his wife, Queen Michael. She's the daughter of King Saul. Queen Michael could not muster even a flicker of gratitude to God for returning the Ark of the Covenant. No, not a flicker. Ah, all she could do is criticize her husband. Just became being not self-conscious in praising of God. She criticized him severely. Please listen to me. Listen to me. David, with all his problems, I think we all know his problems. Every one of us know the story of David. And, and we, know, we know them all. But I want to tell you this morning that with all his problems, with all his weaknesses, with all his failure, David, with all of his heart, was a man who sought to obey the Word of God and be grateful giver to God. No wonder God gave him one victory after another. He paid for the consequences of his sins. But nonetheless, God honored the desire of his heart. Beloved, the Bible makes it clear again and again and again and again that praise, adoration, gratitude, giving, obedience are not only the secret of victory, but they're the essential components for answered prayer. I cannot help but think of Paul and Cyrus in Philippi. I really do. It's a challenge to me. I confess to you, it's a challenge to me. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were bleeding from every part of their body. Their feet were in the stocks. The first thing probably I would do, I'm not saying you, but I would do, okay? I would cry to God, God, <laughs> how come? We were preaching your word. We were faithful preaching the gospel. We were serving you. Why are we suffering like this? Why did you not protect us, God? It's a natural thing, right? Don't look uppity at me, because <laughs> I think you would do the same. <laughs> I 
And yet they were not only not complaining. They were singing their hearts out. They were singing a storm in the prison. As a result, God sent an earthquake and shook the entire city. The prison gates fell open, and the prison warden committed his life to the Lord, and he and his family became baptized. Now think about this long and hard. During the day, the mob in Philippi, I mean, they were literally trying to stone him to death. They want to kill him. I mean, they, 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 they want to leave no life left in them. But at nighttime, they were singing. They were praising God. And they discovered that their praise in tough times turned the table. They, they were not singing because, oh, if we sing, God might intervene. That was probably not even on their minds. They were not thinking that. They were just doing it because that's who they are. They're praising God in all circumstances. They, they did not know that God was going to turn the tables. I must confess to you that when I think, I can't even get through it. But when I think that God's name is dependent on us, God in heaven knows I shudder. I tremble at times. But that's exactly what hallowed be your name means. Beloved, I'm only too aware of our evil culture our cancel culture, our godless culture. They will not applaud us when we live a life of praise and adoration. When we live a life of attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving to God, they will not applaud us. When we live a life of obedience to the Word of God, oh, they will despise us. But that shouldn't surprise us, right? Shouldn't surprise us. The Word of God said, the cross. Can you say the cross? The cross. The cross, the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. So please don't expect the world to love you for being grateful giver and obedient to the Word of God, don't expect it. In fact, the opposite will happen. But nonetheless, we don't live for the praise of this fallen world. We don't live for the praise of this fallen culture. We don't live for the praise of this evil media, but for the praise of His glory. Amen. Give Him praise. If you are carrying the name of Jesus Christ, most of us are, you're carrying the name of Jesus Christ, everything about your life and my life reflects on Him.
It reflects on Him. If you are embarrassed in certain circles to name the name of Jesus, if you are ashamed of certain parts of the Scripture, if you are embarrassed of certain parts of the Word of God, if you are a smorgasbord Christian and you want to pick and you want to choose, if you distance yourself from one or more of the characteristics of God, chances are you are not eternally saved. That's a mouthful. But I love you enough. I love you enough to tell you the truth. But you can change that today. You can change that today. When we go to prayer, you can repent of your half-heartedness. You can surrender fully to Christ. And God promised to give you victory. Because without repentance, you can pray, hallowed be your name, 20,000 times a day. It will not go above your head. It won't get to heaven. It won't go above your head. It won't even go through the ceiling. And so I'll tell you this as I conclude. My prayer when I come to this sentence of the disciples' prayer is very simple. My Father in heaven, your name signifies your character, your personhood, and your glory. I long and I want to bless that holy name. Your name is my only power. Your name is my only strength. You have privileged me to name your name. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the first. You're the beginning and the end. You are the bishop of my soul. You are the shepherd of my life. You are my deliverer. You are my hiding place. May I today honor, not dishonor your name. May I today bring glory to that precious name. May your name be glorified in me today. May it be glorified and you be glorified in my giving and in my gratitude and in my obedience. May the works of my hands and the words of my lips and the thoughts of my mind bring glory to your name. May your name be glorified in the lives of my family members, my colleagues in ministry, members of this congregation, and the ministry partners around the world. May your name be glorified today. And all of God's people said amen. amen. Lord, your Holy Spirit, the ancient prayer said, from whom no secrets are hid. There are no secrets in our hearts are hidden from your Holy Spirit. You know our thoughts before we think them. You know the way we live, the way we think, the way we behave, even when nobody's watching. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus, confessing our inadequacies. As the singer said many years ago, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, 
we have a thousand tongues, we cannot sing the praises of your name well enough. And I'm so thankful that in heaven we will. But I'm praying today for that person who may be watching from around the world or in this beautiful sanctuary. That person who's half-hearted in their commitment love for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, this will be a day of transformation. This is a day of decision. This is a day and a time for commitment. For Lord, we know the days are coming when it's going to get harder, not easier. And so we come to you for power, for strength, and for the ability to lift up our heads and recognize that our day of redemption is drawing near. For we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Will you stand up and bless the Lord in a song with us? Thank you, Paul.